Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's episode... The idea of being able to buy a diversified portfolio of ETFs with a few hundred dollars. That is really a mind-boggling idea if you put that proposition to somebody 10 years ago. In part one of my chat with Alex Vinokur, he revealed he was a 16-year-old emigre from Ukraine who landed in Australia with no English. Yet within a few decades, he'd managed to get himself educated. Then he took a punt to back himself into a startup that would end up helping disrupt the wealth management industry in this country. In the dozen years since Alex Vinokur started Beta Shares Exchange Traded Funds, or ETFs, he and his team have built it into a company now managing $23 billion in investor capital, offering over 65 index funds to invest in. In part two of our chat, Alex reveals another revolution convulsing the wealth management world, how millennials and Gen Zers are playing the game and changing the game by jumping into exchange-traded funds in a big way, and how crucial is innovation to survival in startup land. Enjoy. Alex Vinokur. Welcome back. You are the founder and CEO of BetaShares ETFs. There are another couple of things that I do want to talk about. And really, I mean, there's been this enormous and rapid jump. We spoke in part one about you jumped to $10 billion funds under management within a decade, which I still think is is a very rapid scale up. But you had a rapid jump in your funds under management around 2020. Tell us about that. And was that COVID related? What happened that year? Because of course, initially in March, 2020, everyone, including the stock market, did a little bit of a mini panic and nobody quite knew. Indexes didn't know whether to keep rising or whether to really take notice of COVID. There was a lot of panic in the market in 2020. The extent of panic amongst ETF investors has been markedly lower, which really pleased us because we have been in the in the decade that we have been around, you know, by that time, we have been at pains uh, to educate investors about importance of staying the course, importance not to panic, yeah. and importance to ensure that our own biases as humans do not get in the way of sound investment decisions. Yeah. So that idea of long-term investing, we we got to that certainly after the GFC. And I mean, Warren Buffett's been probably more publicized in the last 10 years, and that's been his, he's hammered that message. Really, it's interesting. What happened to you through that 2020? And how did you have this massive jump in funds under management? Look, we did have a significant jump. And I would say a number of investors were hearing the stories um, from from a number of active managers who were calling and questioning the robustness of exchange-traded funds in the face of any market correction of volatilities. Even though ETFs have been around through the NASDAQ boom and bust in 2000, they've been through GFC, a significant number of active managers have been questioning and seeding doubt amongst those who may be less educated 
and really saying, hey, like, you know, you just wait for a major shakeout and then you'll see how, it, you know, sort of whether ETFs actually deliver. Well, the great thing is that in 2020, like in the GFC, like in Brexit, like in all other calamities, ETFs have delivered exactly what they promised on the tin. And that has given investors a greater deal of confidence than ever before. When you say they, they delivered on the tin, not all indices, surely, of your 60 plus funds all went up. They didn't go all go up, but the, the performance of those indices corresponded or the performance of those ETFs corresponded to their investment objectives, which is the most important thing. So people can come in and out. There's no freezing of any, you know, right, sort of any but you orders. you still could have lost money. Of course. Like, yeah. again, I mean, uh, a lot of things went down in value. A lot of things went up in value. But the most important thing is that the ETF vehicle had another major test and that has given people a great deal of confidence that they do deliver exactly what they say on the tin. And then if I choose as an investor to invest in NASDAQ 100 or to invest in, in global quality companies, that is exactly the return that I'm going to receive. So you got to $20 billion in funds under management somewhere in the last two years. Yes. And now you're much higher than that again. Has there been a massive take-up and interest in ETFs and in your ETFs from millennials and Gen Zers, as they're called? Yes, there has been a very significant amount of take-up. We are today living in a society where young Australians are finding home ownership more and more difficult. We're also today living in a society where interest rates that the banks are offering on deposits are at historic lows. At the same time, we have a pretty hardworking portion of the population that is young. A number of them are saving money and they want to be smarter with their money. They want to get ahead in life as they should. And ETFs certainly, certainly help democratize access to wealth creation uh, for that part of the market. In fact, it's, it's helping democratize wealth creation for the whole market. But young Australians have been voting with their balances for ETFs. Why specifically ETFs, do you think? What really attracts them? Very simple. ETFs allow individual investors to punch significantly above their weight yeah. in terms of assets they own. The idea of being able to buy a diversified portfolio of ETFs as, you know, with a few hundred dollars as easily as buying a share on the ASX. I mean, that is, that is really a mind-boggling idea if you put that proposition to somebody 10 years ago. So the democratization is incredible. I'll give you an example. One of the funds that we manage is called DHHF. It's, it's a, it's a high-growth diversified fund that owns over 8,000 securities in the fund from developed and emerging markets around the world, the equity securities. And that fund charges a fee of 0.19% per annum, so 19 basis points per annum, basically, which is very, very low cost. If you are an investor, young or old, to buy 8,000 securities, to have a very highly diversified equities portfolio, it would cost you millions of dollars historically. And today you can achieve the same at that very effective uh, price point with as little as, as, as 100 bucks. I need to be careful to say that, you know, this podcast is not endorsing neither ETFs nor your particular company, but I am really interested in in your views on what have been the underperforming sectors in the last two years and what have been the best performing. 
Look, the best performing, if I can start with that, uh, have certainly been uh, technology exposures. I mean, technology exposures have, have have done really well. Whether it's the Nasdaq 100, which is the broad, um, you know. Sorry, can I just interrupt? How much does it cost an investor to go into your Nasdaq 100 fund? It costs zero point four eight percent per annum. So compared it's to more expensive than the one you just yes, mentioned. It is more yeah. expensive than the one that mentioned, and it compares very favorably to the average cost of an active manager, which is probably closer to one and a half percent basically at the moment. But yes, it is, you know, there's a, a variability, of course, in the product suite. So technology has been a very strong performing segment, of course, in the market. Um, anything- what about renewables? What about you've also started a crypto Yes, fund. yes, yes, we have. So, so Again, I mean, there are so many. There are sixty-five funds, so so I'm I'm going to try to group yeah. them maybe in some in some ways. In more recent times, energy has been you know performing very strongly, even though it's performed very poorly. Yeah, you mean period. oil? Indeed, particularly. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, sort of prior to that, commodities more generally have done quite quite poorly historically speaking because it's been it's been the growth market basically it's been a market that's been rewarding growth however in more recent times um, you know it's made a comeback i mean generally a lot of investors talk about growth and value right so over the past decade growth has done phenomenally well and value has been been lagging what we are seeing in more recent times is value making a bit of a resurgence and a bit of a comeback, in particular, now that some of the growth exposures are being reconsidered or the valuations of some of the growth exposures are being reconsidered in the face of rising interest rates. The one thing we do see is that some exposures for investors remain ever relevant, basically. So there are some of the genuine megatrends that we talked about previously that investors really gravitate towards because the companies in those sort of particular megatrend sectors are very well positioned for long-term growth, both in in terms of their top line as well as their profit margins. Like what sort of megatrend? Look, robotics or decarbonization of our planet, right? Renewables and, and, and robotics and renewables yeah. and cybersecurity. So, so there are a number of them. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm, there's too many of them to exactly. mention by name. Can I just pick out one? And yes. you launched Australia's first, I believe, crypto ETF late last year. Now, you also said in part one that you don't go after fads. Does that mean that crypto is no longer a fad? And you don't actually invest in tokens, do you? I understand this fund invests in companies that support crypto or might be an exchange for crypto. That's a great summary, Helen. We are of the view that crypto as an industry is here to stay. However, I know central banks, are, you know, are certainly starting to agree with you. Absolutely. And, yeah. However, we feel that as the first offering in the market, the picks and shovels approach to obtaining exposure to crypto is a sensible way to go. And when I say picks and shovels, I mean companies that enable the functioning of the of the crypto ecosystem. So it could include exchanges, crypto exchanges such as Coinbase. It could in- include, and it does include, equipment manufacturers. 
that are selling technology and computer equipment that enables mining of cryptocurrencies. It also includes service providers uh, such as custodians that are ensuring that those crypto investments are held in safe custody. So effectively, what we're doing is providing exposure to the ecosystem. That means that we do not own coins directly. We do not own tokens directly. But that type of exposure is actually better understood by the common investor. Because what we invest in are businesses that have a business model of providing services to that, uh, to that crypto economy. So it is a step removed from owning cryptocurrencies directly. And therefore, does it remove that intense volatility that we've seen with the actual coins? Yeah, look, uh, the volatility the is still, look, the, the crypto world is a volatile world. Right. So it would be wrong of me yeah. to present that exposure as a, as a, safe as a lower and steady volatility. And, yeah. That's right. It is, it is an exposure that is only appropriate for a small portion of the investment portfolio. It is a volatile exposure, but it is an exposure that more and more investors are allocating to as part of a diversified portfolio. And in the ETF business, we certainly are, are strongly against uh, speculation. We're strongly against the casino-like nature of, of trading cryptocurrencies directly. And, and our message to investors is around building wealth slowly as opposed to getting rich quick. Just as we start to wrap up, I just we've talked a little bit around this, but what do you see as the really interesting or crucial kind of emerging market trends in ETFs? I would say the ETF industry, uh, certainly I can I can speak for us at BetaShares, but the ETF industry has over time delivered on the ability to to continue adapting to change. I don't know what the future really looks like in 20 years. But what I do know is that the ETF industry will be very well placed to enable investors to align their portfolios with opportunities as they come up. As I sit today, I certainly feel that decarbonization of our planet, and again, it's been very well covered by, by people that are much smarter than I am, but I would say that decarbonization of, of our planet, the move towards renewable energy is definitely an area which is certainly already presenting opportunities for the ETF industry. But I think there'll be more and more evolution and there'll be more and more innovation. I also would say uh, that the broad area, which sometimes is referred to as ESG or sustainable investing, uh, is also, I think, an area where ETFs already play a significant role, but will continue playing an even more significant role over time. And this is not just around making sure that the investments are, are screened to remove fossil fuels. Uh, but I think the S and the G uh, in ESG, the governance and the social responsibility are more and more, you know, sort of um, the area of focus for, for exchange-traded funds industry. So I think the future, of course, I'm, I'm very biased in that regard, but I think the future is, is very bright. What's been the key, do you think, to making your business work? What's your secret source, as they like to say, in the States? People. People is always been our greatest asset. People today, not only are the source of great pride for me when I look at the business and, and, and literally the only thing that I can truly, truly take pride in right now is the team that we have. But people also, the caliber of our people gives me a great confidence that our business um, will continue evolving and continue innovating and continue delivering you know, relevant investment solutions for our clients. So people, people is where it's all started and people is really the future of our business. 
So the US entrepreneur, Mark Cuban, he says, you know, startup founders have to find their edge to outmaneuver their competition before the competition outmaneuvers you. What's your edge? Is it people that you've just said or is there another edge? I would absolutely still say people is is our edge. Um, people make everything else possible. Uh, people are coming into the office or logging on remotely as we have all become accustomed to and they're challenging status quo. They're not accepting, you know, they're not accepting Bidashes doing things the same way today as we we're doing five years ago. That is extremely difficult, extremely difficult to replicate. It's very special and we are so focused uh, on making sure that we maintain that. Do you have a business mantra? Uh, we have several. I think the key business mantra probably for us is to combine our innovation and agility that you mentioned early with the focus on remaining who we are and remaining grounded and remaining modest. We have seen too many lessons from around the world and from Australia of companies over time, at times, of course, not for every company, losing their humility and, and perhaps at times taking success for granted. It's very important to make sure that we, we preserve that, that innovation and agility and hunger to do things better and to do things smarter with the counterbalance of, of remaining really who we are and remaining grounded and, and really ensuring that we never take success for granted. Have you ever come close to falling over or particularly, say, in the early years of being a startup of going broke? The closest to it I remember is paying people's salary by check as opposed to an electronic transfer because it takes three days to clear as opposed to one. Well, that old trick. Oh, wow. And how long, do you remember how long you had to do that for? Only a couple of weeks, thankfully. In the early years Very or was early. this 18 okay. months in, which a lot of entrepreneurs tell me that, you know, for 18 months it can be really tough I to, was pretty to have I was very early cash flow. Days. Yes. And how long before you were profitable? Quite a few years. But the reason uh, for that was just because we saw the opportunity in the market and, and the opportunity was not to run the business for cash, um, but rather to reinvest you know, all the revenues back into growth. Yeah. So it took several years, uh, you know, to become, and that's growth to become in tech truly as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Big, to, to become truly big profitable. Investment. Yeah. A couple of questions that I'm going to finish with. What are you obsessed about at the moment? be it a cause or a book or a film or? Look, unfortunately, at the moment, I'm obsessed with the events in my, um, in my country of birth. Um, other than that, I'm obsessed with wine. And where do you think events in the country of your birth are going to go? How do you think it's going to play out? That, oh, that's Helen, a very I really big hope, question. It's I a know. very big question. Look, I really, hope, I really hope that it plays out in a way that saves, that saves the lives of, of ordinary Ukrainians, basically. I mean, there are tens of millions of people um, whose lives have been turned upside down for no fault of their own. So that's what, I really, that's what I'm really praying and hoping for. Do you have any staff in Ukraine? We don't. No. So you don't, you, all your staff are sort of locally based. What's the toughest thing you faced in this entrepreneurial journey? Trusting the team and letting go. In very early days, I'll expand on that a little bit. Um, I mean, I've got immense uh, trust uh, and have always had immense trust in people, but, but early on, there was the temptation, uh, you know, sort of to, 
to check everything. You do and everything. everything. And you do everything yeah. because you kind you of do think everything you yourself. Do it better. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And, and of course, as the business, you know, at the very beginning, I mean, it's kind of you or you and a few people around you. So of course, you kind of do everything. But yes, coming to a realization, which I was very lucky, uh, very, very fortunate to have come to uh, reasonably early on, that you've just got to completely completely back, you know, your people and let them perform at their best, basically. And and today I can certainly tell you that the best ideas that we come up with as a business are certainly not Alex's ideas. They are ideas that the team comes up with. And sometimes I sit back and think, wow, like that's that's really impressive. So yeah, I take a great deal of pride um, from that. What's the biggest lesson you've learned in this journey? Perseverance. Perseverance hundred percent. Um Perseverance beats uh, pretty much everything, whether it's early struggles, you know, whether it's kind of the naysayers. Perseverance is, is a really important quality, has been a very important quality uh, for our business, as I know it is most often the case, um, you know, sort of for, uh, for a number of others. So perseverance um, is, you know, if there was a subject in perseverance that kids uh, could be taught, it would be phenomenal. What would you say to perhaps another young person who has an idea or a burning ambition to start their own business? Don't be crazy. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't say that. I would. I would probably say the opposite. Um, I would say have a game plan in mind. Be prepared to deviate from your game plan and have a go. Alex Finnecou, the founder and CEO of BetaShares ETFs. Thank you so much for joining me on Build It Thou Come. It's been great to speak to you. It's been great to be with you, Helen. I hope you enjoyed Build It Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.